Happy Father's Day. Have you have a good day, Anthony? Dad's getting good presents this morning. Michelle's going off down to Sydney with the kids and, and I'm, uh, well, I'm actually just going to be at home alone today. There you go. That's all right. But yesterday, we had a good day and <laughs> so, yeah, actually, it'll be all right. Yeah, don't, worry, don't, don't feel sorry for me. Yesterday, I got one of these, uh, I'm a bit of a coffee snob and I got a air, what's it, an AeroPress for coffee. Oh, yes. So for camping and that sort of stuff. So if you're bored this afternoon and want to come around for a coffee, I'll just be on my own. Um, so I'll be making myself a coffee if you want to come around. Anyway, happy Father's Day. Let's, um, let's have our Bibles open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you haven't already, and uh, the outline there is, is uh, in your bulletin as well. Well, remember last week? Last week, we, Paul wrote to encourage the, the, the Christians at Thessalonica to grieve like those... Uh, sorry, not to grieve like those who have no hope. Remember from last week? Don't grieve like the, the rest of men, like those who have no hope. Why? How can they do that? Remember chapter uh, 4, verse 14. It says, We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God would bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. So the resurrection is the basis of, that, of the Christian hope. It's the foundation of the Christian hope. What happened to Jesus will happen to those who believe in him. And because of the resurrection, we know that one day Jesus will return. And on that day, we'll meet him. And on that day, we'll be with him. In fact, Paul not only wanted to encourage the Thessalonians as they're going through a tough time and as they grieved their friends who had died... But he wanted to, and reminding them of the assurance that they have in Jesus, but he wanted them too to encourage each other in all of this. Paul now anticipates two big questions. The first is, well, when will Jesus return? When is he coming? And the second is, how should we live as we wait? So let's pray and ask God to help us understand all this. Father, we, uh, we, we thank you for... Uh, your word to us. Lord, we thank you that you are indeed a God who speaks. So let us be people that listen and help us to put into practice the words that you say. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a very simple old adage when it comes to succeeding in a job interview. Prepare well, perform well. Now, perhaps this short clip will illustrate this point. Mr. Goodman. What makes you think you're qualified for this job? Oh! Ah! Stop punching me! Stop punching Please! Sneaky, hey. Prepare well, perform well. So if you're serious about it and you want to succeed in the interview, 
you'll prepare. You'll study up and you'll know the company you want to end up with. You'll practice. You'll, you'll even wear the right clothes. Your actions and even your behaviour are shaped by this future event. Now, yes, the analogy has a few holes in it, but as a follower of Jesus who awaits his return, we read today that our actions and our behaviour ought to be shaped by this future event, Jesus coming again. Paul calls it then living in the light. It's what we've called our whole series, living in the light of Jesus' return. So, verses 1 to 3, Jesus tells us more about his return. He carries on from where he left off at the end of chapter 4 by reminding them of what they already know. That is about times and dates or when Jesus will return. Perhaps this is also where what they need to hear again. Because of the suffering and persecution going on in Thessalonica, they need to be assured that God's justice is coming against those who beat them who dragged them out of their homes. Remember from Acts 17? Dragged out of their homes and, and, and hunted down, who ridiculed them and, and even killed them. They need to be assured that Jesus is coming. Do you know that Christians continue to be the most persecuted people group in the world today? There's some interesting stats up there from Open Doors Australia, um, their, their website. Actually, especially Christian women Christian women are the most persecuted people group in the world today. What hope or comfort is there for the 3,000 Christians forced out of their homes from Mosul in Iraq? Uh, or the Christians who are locked up in, in Pakistan for blasphemy? Or the Christians who are attacked and slaughtered at the hands of Boko Haram in Nigeria? Uh, you can see the stats up there. What hope there is there for those Christians? What hope is there for the Christians and comfort of those Christians in Thessalonica? Well, there's the comfort of the risen Jesus. That's what there is. Who will return one day to make all things new. Who will wipe every tear from their eyes. And who will bring rescue and who will return to judge and bring justice. Well, how will this event happen? Uh, three things Paul makes clear. The first one is that Jesus' return will be public. You won't miss it. It won't be a private affair. It's not just for a small bunch of people who might be interested in this sort of thing. It's not that. That's sometimes how we think about Christianity, isn't it? Oh, this is just my own belief. That's what I do on a Sunday. Uh, Others can believe what they want. They do their thing, I do my thing. I don't want to interfere with, or I don't want to try to influence. But we're reminded here in verses 2 and 3 that the day of the Lord, which is how the Old Testament speaks of the return of the Christ, the day of the Lord will be a public phenomenon and it will impact absolutely everyone, no matter what you believe. Second, Jesus' return will be unexpected. Uh, using the words of Jesus' explanation from Matthew 24 or Luke 12, Jesus will come like a thief. It will be something that we cannot predict. Friends, burglars don't make appointments. <laughs> if they did, they wouldn't be much chop, would they? Really. 
if, you, if, you, if, you have, if you've had that unfortunate experience of being broken into, it will almost certainly be an unexpected event. Well, God's word is clear. The return of Jesus, like a thief breaking in, will be unexpected. And nor is it something that we should try to predict. Perhaps by becoming a doomsday detective, piecing together and trying to match the details of parts of Daniel and parts of Revelation, that using, that, that's not how apocalyptic literature works. That's what the, those parts of those books are. There, there's been some classic fails of this type of prediction over the years. Um, a guy called Ed, Edgar Wisenant. I don't know if that's how to pronounce his surname. He released a short book entitled 88 Reasons Christ Will Return in 1988. And yes, he had to revise his figures. He tried again in 1989, in 1993 and in 1994. At least he was persistent, I guess. That's good. Uh, In 1992, you might remember this. I was in Sydney at the time, about a year after leaving school, Pastor uh, Chang Hung Jo of the Mission for the Coming Days Church set the day and hour for Jesus' return to be at 1am October 29, arriving at North Head in Sydney. Uh, Members of the church based in Glazeville quit their jobs, they sold their possessions and they waited And to the media's great joy and amusement, well, they told the media as well. And so the media waited there with them. North Head, 1am. 1.30am, clicked by. 2am, 6am, nothing. And apparently someone from the media quipped, perhaps Jesus is lost. Um, (laughs) Crazy. If it wasn't so serious, it's sort of laughable, isn't it? Others today even see the establishment of the modern state of Israel in 1948 as a sign that Jesus will return within a lifetime of the generation alive in 1948. It's interesting too that people who try to predict the return of Jesus tend to only predict the event occurring in their lifetime, (laughs) not in 100 years' time, 200 years' time. Jesus himself made it clear that no one knows when he is coming back, not even himself, only the Father. Matthew 24, 36 says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Third, verse 3, Paul explains that the return of Jesus will be sudden and inescapable like labour pains on a pregnant woman. It's a fairly graphic image, isn't it? I remember very clearly the details of all three labours of our children. My guess is that Michelle remembers them pretty well as well. Uh, (laughs) Wiped them from the memory, maybe, I don't know. Uh, Definitely, though, Eve's, Eve's birth was the most sudden and unexpected she arrived slightly early, about two, two weeks early, I think it was, uh, as a result of a car accident. Now, it wasn't an especially big bump. It was raining. We were sitting stationary uh, at a set of lights and a car behind us didn't see the red and slid into the back of us. Um, 
Eve was not very impressed and she said, I'm out of here. <laughs> and that started it. That was the labour of uh, her, the start of that labour anyway. So you can postpone the dentist and try to avoid it. But you can't do that with childbirth and nor can we do it with the return of Jesus. Perhaps this is Paul's word of comfort against those persecutors who gloat peace and safety. You see that in verse 3? Like labour pains, they will not escape the return of Jesus and his justice that comes with it. But there seems to be something broader going on. I don't know. Uh, Maybe we might call it complacency. Because things are so peaceful and safe, because things are so secure, spiritual things are, are left off the agenda. We push them to the side. We're comfortable. And we like being comfortable. And we neglect the urgency that the gospel speaks of. That death awaits us all. That we will all be judged. And that Jesus could return at any moment, in his words, to, sh- to, to separate the sheep and the goats. Will you be ready? Or are you being complacent? Will your children be ready? Are you doing everything to make sure they are? Or are you preaching, teaching peace and safety? Jesus says that one day he will disturb such peace and safety with destruction. On that day, for many complacency will turn to regret so if Jesus could return at any moment that's what Jesus is saying then how should we live how should we live how can we prepare for our interview with Jesus how can we get ready for Jesus' return well we should live in the light of the return of Jesus So point number two in your outline there says, getting ready for the return of Jesus. Let's pick it up from verse four. But you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So Christians live in the day, not in the light, not in the night. Make that clear. (laughs) We belong to the day, not in complacency, but in expectation of his return so believers are not in darkness the word the word the bible often uses to describe being separate from god because of our sin believers don't belong there followers of jesus have been forgiven of our sin brought into the light of jesus remember we are if you're a christian person you're in christ in god the father and the lord jesus christ one verse one a new day has dawned And so we live in the day. We live like that day is already here, expecting Jesus' return, waiting for it. Remember chapter 1, verse 10. These Thessalonians turned. They they, they turned from idols to serve the true and living God. Now what do they do? They wait. They wait for Jesus to return. They trust in his promise. So it shouldn't be a surprise 
when Jesus returns because Jesus will keep his promise. Paul writes in Colossians, For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. How do we get ready for the return of Jesus? Well, first and foremost, you've got to give your life to him. You've got to trust him. You've got to accept his forgiveness, one for you on the cross, and you've got to live for him. We'll never be ready for Jesus' return if we're not right with him. So believers live in the day, therefore we don't live in the darkness, verses 6 and 7. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. You notice how Paul uses sleep in two different ways? A little bit complicated at first, isn't it? Um, A little bit confusing in the first time we read it. He uses it positively in, the, in chapter 4, verse 15. This is from last week, and, and 5, verse 10. Speaking of Christians who have died in Christ. Remember that? But also, you, he uses the term negatively here in verses 6 and 7, describing such people who fail to understand that Jesus makes a difference in how we live. We don't live in the darkness, for a new day has dawned. See, when you're, a, when you're awake, now, oh, this is a... I'm generalizing here, but when you're awake, you're alert. <laughs> Isn't that right? Everyone says, yes, I'm awake. Yes, I'm alert. I'm listening. Um, generalizing, yes, that's what happens. When you're awake, you're awake, you're alert, and you're self-controlled. That's the analogy Paul's using. But at night, well, we're asleep. Uh, we're not awake. We're not really alert. And at night, in the darkness... So Paul pushes the analogy just a little bit further. In the darkness, well, that's where we get up to no good. For example, drunkenness, where we lose our self-control, where we're not alert. That's what drunkenness does. That's why God's so against drunkenness. So, believers in the Lord Jesus don't live in darkness. Instead, what do we do? Well, we get dressed up. That's what we do. In the daytime, uh, in the light, we could say, you need to wear the appropriate clothing. Wearing our pyjamas to work is not the appropriate clothing, even for ministers um, who might spend a day working at home. Uh, (laughs) Nighttime clothing is not appropriate for the day. When we're in, uh, in Dubai... Uh, the, the ladies, Muslim ladies, would sometimes wear their, their whole uh, niqab and so forth and it would cover them head, head to toe. Um, they would do like all mums have to do, they've got to drop their kids off at school and so forth. But if you look closely, as they walked along, you could see some lovely little flannelette pyjamas just poking out down the bottom. <laughs> they were trying to get away with it, but we noticed... But they'd do what any mums would do, wouldn't they? It's long, you know, it's getting the kids to school, didn't have time, got got time to get the kids ready, didn't have time to get ready yourself. Oh, just throw all this on, should be right. I don't think they said should be right, though. Um, Nighttime clothing is not appropriate for the day. That's the analogy Paul is using. Uh, We'll read in a few moments how we, we need to be ready and dressed appropriately. 
for Jesus could drop round any time. This is on the Facebook going around this week. I thought it was quite funny. Have a good look at it if you like. Maybe that's you when people come over without telling you first. Um, I thought that was much funnier than the laugh I got. That's all right. Um, and in fact, let's go to the next slide. Thanks, guys. Um, there you got it. Good. Too slow. In fact, it's pretty normal behaviour for us to choose clothing that fits the activity we're getting into. You understand? So for an important, in- an important interview that you might have, say for a position in a business, ca- a business firm, well, we'd wear a suit, wouldn't we? That's what we'd do. Uh, and if I was going out to bat in a, in, a, in a cricket game, I'd put on my pads, I'd put on the gloves, I'd put my helmet on, because that's appropriate for what I'm about to get into or what I'm about to do. So it is with following Jesus, who has brought us into the light. We wear appropriate clothing for who we are and what we are doing. You could have been add for where we're going. Friends, Paul writes that each day we face a spiritual assault and we need to be clothed appropriately and protected from darkness or the evil one. Thinking about the activity we are to be involved in as a Christian should shape what we put on. So, verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Do you see that triad there, the faith, love and hope? Pops up again. That's how we define Christian living, faith, hope and love. See, as we fight against the devil's schemes, temptation and so forth, we put on the Lord's armour and we're self-controlled like a good soldier. That's what a soldier has to be. If a soldier is not self-controlled, he's dead. Clothed with the breastplate of faith and love for protection. Interesting, isn't it? For protection, faith and love. And the real and certain hope of salvation as a helmet. Why? It's God's plan in our lives. Look at verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live together with Him. Notice that the believer is part of God's plan and purpose. When you put your trust in Him, you are part of His plan and purpose. God has appointed the Christian person not to suffer wrath like those who don't know Jesus, that's a reference to God's judgment, but to be assured of salvation. How can we be assured? Jesus died for us. Set in verse 10. He died in our place so that we'll be together with him. That was the purpose of Jesus' coming. Real security in death. Real assurance of God's love. We belong to the day. Jesus died for us. And so we dress appropriately. In fact, you could say faith, hope and love is our team uniform as followers of Jesus. And, and so once again, Paul says in verse 11, just like he said in chapter 4, verse 18, therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? Remember that. <laughs> Encourage one another and build each other up in this. 
Following Jesus is a team activity as we travel together to the destination God has called us to. Living out faith, hope and love is how we travel together. It's how we do it. It's how we encourage and how we build each other up. You know, we've, I think, when we move here, about January 30, I think our anniversary date is, no, January something like that, 18, there you go, thank you my dear. Um, So it's been give or take, what is it now, six, seven, eight months, anyway, it's been about half a year, a bit more, I'm not big in anniversaries like that, but anyway, we've loved living next door, there it is, Um, (laughs) so we've loved living next door, that's over there. Um, we love it, it's, it's great and one of the wonderful things about the, the house, the rectory is all the rooms open plan living um, is overrated we love the fact that we can close doors and hide away if you need to there's doors everywhere love it, fantastic and it's a great house for playing hide and seek there's all sorts of little places to hide behind certain things and Hidey holes. It makes for some very long games, by the way. Um, where is he? Is he gone? Is he... Anyway, you remember how each round of hide and seek starts, don't you? The seeker counts to 100 or whatever and then has to yell out the warning, coming, ready or not. Friends, Jesus is coming, ready or not. Are you ready for his return? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your promises. Your promise that one day Jesus will return. Lord, we don't know when that is. And uh, Lord, we, like the end of 1 Corinthians 16, we want to say, come Lord Jesus, come. But also, Lord, we, we know that there are people who don't know you and loved ones who don't know you. And so, Lord, we pray that your patience would continue to extend and that more people would come to know you before you do return. Uh, Lord God, um, thank you that you keep your promises. Thank you for the assurance that we have in, in death. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for us. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen.